Jehovah's Witnesses believe? And how can we effectively share the true Jesus with a Jehovah's Witness? For many Christians, it is a frustrating and often discouraging experience to share the truth about Jesus Christ and the true gospel with a Jehovah's Witness. How can we effectively engage a Jehovah's Witness and break through those barriers that hold them captive to the false teaching of the Watchtower organization? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, discuss strategies that will help every Christian effectively share Christ with a Jehovah's Witness. This will be an insightful and practical show. So let's join Pat now as he discusses this topic with Dr. Ron Rhodes. We need to keep something in mind. Sometimes God has us just plant a seed. There's other occasions where we get to water a seed. In other words, we continue sharing the truth that somebody else has already been sharing with them. On rarer occasions, we get to see the flower blossom. In other words, we do actually get to see a conversion. But the point that I want to make is that don't get discouraged as a Christian if you don't see a conversion the same day that you shared the truth. Don't ever get discouraged. You be patient just like Job was, and you just keep on sharing the truth whenever you have the opportunity to do so. And what you want to do is handle yourself in such a kind way that they want to come back. Because I have found that very often it takes more than one exposure to the truth for them to become believers. Now, if you're real intense and condescending and prideful and arrogant, I promise you they're not going to come back. In fact, Pat, you know what they're going to do? They're going to fill out a form on you. And they're going to send that form into the watchtower. And that form is going to say, this person is belligerent and arrogant. Recommend no more contact. <laughs> I kid you not. They do that. So you don't want that to happen. But if you're real nice and kind and loving, they will keep coming back. And that's what you want to have happen. And so what you're saying is you may bring up a verse and then they're going to bring up their verses. And you're saying take time to answer their verses. And so we need to be well-versed and equipped and prepared to answer the verses they bring up. Isn't that what you're saying? Well, that's right. And in fact, what I'm trying to do in this book is to actually show you how to do it real time. In other words, I actually include in this book conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses you know, examples of conversations about God and about Jesus and about the gospel of salvation and about the Holy Spirit and about the Trinity. You know, I just have conversations about all of these. And I illustrate what I'm talking about right now and how you can continually bring them back to the verse that you're talking about when they try to switch to another verse or if they bring up some kind of irrelevant doctrine instead of an important doctrine. I show you how to transition into something important. I try to illustrate how to do all those things. And if you can do all of that while maintaining an attitude of humility and kindness, you will make inroads into that person's life. And you will very likely at some point see a conversion. But if you don't, you don't get discouraged. Now, you talked about the deity of Christ being a great place to start. Where do we go from there? Is the personhood of the Holy Spirit a great place to go? or? false prophecy or something? Where do you like to go from there? Well, you know, that false prophecy is an important component, and here's the reason why I say that. In fact, 
in this book, I actually talk about this as a primary strategy. Who is it that leads the Jehovah's Witnesses? It's the Watchtower Society. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Watchtower Society is God's organization on earth. This organization and no other is said to lead people in understanding the truth. And there's no other organization on earth that can help people to understand the truth of Scripture. That's what they say. Now, how does false prophecy come into this? Well, you see, that's a very important thing to bring up, because not only do you want to share the truth about who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is, and the Trinity, and the gospel of salvation, and all of those things, at the same time, you want to also undermine their confidence in the Watchtower. Now, that's important, because they believe that the Watchtower is God's voice on earth. But if you can show them that God's voice on earth, the Watchtower Society, has been wrong time and time and time again, they're going to be more open to listening to what you have to say about Jesus and the Trinity and the gospel of salvation. So let me just give you an illustration. I'm sure you're aware, Pat, that Jehovah's Witnesses taught, among other things, that Jehovah was going to overthrow all human governments and set up his own government back in 1914. Didn't happen. In 1925, the Old Testament patriarchs, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were supposed to be physically resurrected from the dead and then live in San Diego at a mansion called Beth Sharim. Didn't happen. What about 1975? Again, you have this prophecy of the Jehovah's Witnesses that Jehovah would overthrow all human governments and set up his kingdom on earth. And as the year drew near, Jehovah's Witnesses used their life savings and sold their houses and used the money to go door to door. This was like in 1973 and 1974. They used all their money to witness to people that God is going to set up his kingdom in 1975. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. And hundreds of thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses left the watchtower at that point. Now, why do you bring this stuff up to the Jehovah's Witnesses? You don't do it to be mean or to make them feel bad, but what you do want to do is to help them understand that this organization that claims to be God's organization has been wrong time and time again, and therefore you can't trust them. And not only that, Pat, they have continually changed their position on important issues. You know, for example, way back when, they used to say you should worship Jesus. Today, however, they say you should not worship Jesus. You should only show Jesus honor and respect. You should show obeisance to Jesus. Likewise, they used to say, uh, you know, you shouldn't have any organ transplants or vaccinations. Today, they say that Jehovah now says that you can have vaccinations and transplants. They used to have a policy on blood transfusions that said you cannot have any transfusions at all, and if you do, you're going to lose your salvation. Today they're saying that if in a moment of weakness to save your life you have a blood transfusion and then you later repent and recognize you did something wrong, then you can be counseled back into fellowship with Jehovah. Do you see what I'm saying, Pat? Yes. They keep on changing what they believe, and no true organization that speaks for God keeps on changing its mind like that. And so here's the question. Do you really want to trust your eternal salvation to an organization that has been wrong time and time again? And I also like to follow up with another question. You know, if that organization came into being in the 1800s, as history reveals, what about people who lived before that? 
Does that mean God didn't care about all those people? You know, if you can't understand the Bible without the Watchtower Society, doesn't that mean that 18 centuries of Christians did not understand the Bible? And conversely, if they could understand the Bible without the Watchtower, then why can't we understand the Bible without the Watchtower? You see, these are the kind of questions that can really get them to thinking. Right, you know, you bring up a good point. Let me read a quote here from a December 1st, 1981 Watchtower here. It says, Unless we are in touch with this channel of communication, the Watchtower that is that God is using, we will not progress along the road to life no matter how much Bible reading we do. And so, as you're saying, the Watchtower claims to be the authoritative spokesman for God and the, something the Jehovah Witnesses taught is, you know, you can't study the Bible on your own, so when you see them at the coffee shop or something, they've got all these colored books all around their Bibles. Well, that's right. In fact, I'm sure you also know, Pat, that early on, Charles Taze Russell wrote a series of books called Studies in the Scriptures, and he talked about how if you read the Bible alone, you would be in darkness within two years. But if you read his books, the Studies in the Scriptures, without even looking at the Bible, you would be in the light and you would stay in the light. You see, so, you know, there you have an example of exalting human books over the Bible itself. Now, mentioning the Bible, I think, is an important thing here. You know, they've got their own Bible, Pat. Right. They've got a Bible called the New World Translation, and this translation is not really a translation at all. In fact, what they've done is they've come up with a translation of the Bible that is, you know, favorable to, to all of their strange doctrines. And the thing of it is, the average Jehovah's Witness does not recognize that the Bible has been changed. You know, your average Jehovah's Witness is very sincere. They think they've got the best Bible out there. The truth is, the translators of the New World Translation did not even have degrees in Hebrew or Greek. They weren't even linguists. And so this is a satanic deception if I ever saw one. How do you share that with a Jehovah's Witness in a way that they're going to listen to you? Well, I think there's a number of ways that you can do that. You know, for example, you can have a copy of the 1971 New World Translation, and then you can have previous editions of the New World Translation. And then verse by verse, you can actually show them how the translation has been changed. For example, in those translations prior to 1971, you read in verses like in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and following, how the angels worshipped Jesus. But then, starting in 1971, the translation was changed to say that uh, we should show obeisance to Jesus, and that we should never worship a lesser deity. It's also interesting that early issues of the Watchtower magazine, which is supposed to be the voice of Jehovah, talked about how we should worship Jesus, and then later editions of the Watchtower says it's absolute paganism to worship Jesus. You see, that just sort of illustrates what we're talking about here. Another good way to do it, Pat, is if you get a hold of their Kingdom Interlinear Bible. That's their interlinear Bible that has the Hebrew and Greek and then the English words right underneath it. And what you can actually do is compare with them right in, right in their presence how their Kingdom Interlinear disagrees with the New World Translation. And so, like I said, there's a number of ways of doing that. One blatant example is Colossians 1.16, where they insert the word other. Instead of saying that Christ created all things in the universe, like you and I believe, they insert the word other so that it reads, Christ created all other things in the universe, as if he was created first, and then he created everything else. 
The fact is, is that there was one edition of the uh, New World Translation where they didn't ha- even have that word in brackets. It mm-hmm. seemed like it was a, a you know a, a good translation to them, but the fact is they inserted that word with no warrant whatsoever. So in reality, it's a horrible translation. Yeah, you know, and that can be a source of frustration to Christians when they're witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses. You know, they read the verse and they've got extra words inserted there that can change the meaning of the entire verse. And yeah, when you compare, it's it's a struggle there. It really is a struggle. And not only is it a struggle, but sometimes the translation is just plain weird, you know. I remember like in the Old Testament where you're like reading through the Psalms and it says, Thou anointest my head with oil. If you go to the New World Translation, it says, Thou hast greased my head. You know, greased my head? Really? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's just a horrible translation. It's well known that back in Old Testament times, there were common anointings, especially among the kings. The kings would be anointed. But we also see that word used among, you know, used of God's people. God's people can be anointed. And so to, to talk about it as, as it being greased, I mean, that's just a horrible translation. Yeah, well, if we don't have the kingdom interlinear or anything, is it still possible to do what you say, you know, to do here, share with them these verses, even if we don't have a kingdom interlinear and they're using their translation, some of the verses you brought up, like Isaiah, you know, chapter 44 and 43 and right. others? Well, I think there are some, some common points that you can bring up, even if you don't have some of these tools. Just to give you one example of what I'm talking about, the Jehovah's Witnesses in the New World Translation have actually inserted the word Jehovah all throughout the Bible. Now, it's one thing to try to use that term in the Old Testament. The fact is that there are legitimate translations, like the American Standard Version, that use the word Jehovah. King James uses the term Jehovah four times, only four times. But the thing is, is the Jehovah's Witnesses have also inserted the term Jehovah hundreds of times in the New Testament. And the thing is, Pat, there's not a single Greek manuscript anywhere that says that that's okay. None of of the Greek manuscripts have the term Jehovah. They have the Greek word kurios, which means Lord, you see. And so what they've done is they've stuck the word Jehovah all throughout the New Testament when there's not a single Greek manuscript to support it. Now, you can ask the Jehovah's Witness about that. You know, why... Why has the uh, Watchtower inserted the term Jehovah all throughout the New Testament when the original biblical manuscripts give no you know, reason to do that whatsoever? And, you know, you've got to force them to answer that. They're going to want to segue to some other verse or some other issue, but keep bringing them back to the important issue and don't let them stop until they say, well, I'm not sure, I'm going to have to look into that. Right, or they may say, you know, the deception of the church, the pagan church that took uh, Jehovah out. Well, that's right. And in fact, um, you know, sometimes when Jehovah's Witnesses say, tell me that the Trinity is not in the Bible, one common tack I'll use with them is that Jehovah's not in the Bible either. In fact, Jehovah is a man-made term. What we have in the Bible are four consonants. It's Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Most scholars believe that the proper way to translate that is Yahweh, or to, or to pronounce it Yahweh. But you see, the ancient Jews, based on the third commandment, were afraid of taking God's name in vain. So what they did is they took the, the vowels and the consonants from Yahweh and Adonai, another name for God, and they mixed those vowels and consonants together and came up with Yahovah, or Jehovah. And, you know, this is not a term that's in the Bible. You're not going to find the term Jehovah anywhere in the Bible, the original manuscripts. Rather, it was a man-made term from the ancient Jews. And so I'll ask 
Jehovah's Witnesses that as well. You know, what, what do you do with that fact? You've got a man-made term here that the Jews made up, and uh, you've got a Bible where this man-made term has been inserted throughout not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament where not a single Greek manuscript supports it. So, you know, bottom line is is that they have done something to the Bible that the average Jehovah's Witness is unaware of, and that the average Jehovah's Witness trusts but the reality is it's a radically biased translation that is deceptive, and it was put together by people who were not linguists. Right, and Ron, you have a doctorate in Bible, especially the languages, and so yourself and other of some of the top Greek and Hebrew scholars will also acknowledge that. Where can people kind of get information on that? Well, you know, if you want deeper information than what I've got in this smaller book on Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, you can try to get the newest edition of my book, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I say recent edition because the recent, more recent edition actually answers some of the points they've come up with since my original book came out. They've actually done some writing on yours truly here and tried to answer some of the arguments that I've set forth. And so what I've done in the new edition is to answer some of their points that they've come up with since the original edition of my book came out. And I provide all the evidence that you need, not just on the New World Translation, but also on all the other issues that we're talking about. It's a big 400-and-something-page book. Oh, well, I'll have to get it. That whole series, uh, Reasoning with Muslims, with Mormons, with Jehovah Witnesses, to me, that's probably the best and one of the most practical series in witnessing to those in the kingdom of the cults. And I'd recommend you get the whole series if you're serious about witnessing to those in the kingdom of the cults here. Well, Ron, you know, maybe some Christians are listening out there and they're saying, you know, Ron, that's great, but man, you got all this knowledge and training and, and I don't have it. And I still feel a little fearful about engaging a Jehovah's Witness. What would you say to that person out there? Well, I would say this. First of all, read the book. Read the book and learn, just, just get this basic knowledge. But beyond that, there's a couple of key points. Number one, if the Jehovah's Witness asks you something you can't answer, that's okay. No problem. All you've got to do is say, you know, that's a good question, and I don't know what the answer is, but let me do some research, and we can talk about it next time you stop by. And that's going to make they you will an never even, turn. Yeah, that's going to even make you an even better Bible student as well. It'll make you a better Bible student, and it'll also let them know that you're not positioning yourself as some scholar, that you're just like them, you've got questions that need answering. And uh, it'll also make them want to come over. And so meanwhile, they can call Pat Zucran or Ron Rose or somebody that you know knows more about this stuff and help them out. The other thing that you can do is simply to give your testimony. And like I said earlier in the broadcast, talk a lot about what Jesus has done for you and the grace of God. They need to understand the truth about Jesus and the truth about the grace of God. They need to get out of this work salvation and understand that it's a gift that you receive by faith. If you can give a testimony that incorporates those basic elements, you've done a real good thing. Yes. In fact, Pat, let me just tell you this, okay? Based upon exit counseling with Jehovah's Witnesses, in other words, Jehovah's Witnesses who have become Christians, one of the things we've discovered is that very often Jehovah's Witnesses don't remember your theological arguments after they leave the doorstep. But one thing they always do remember is your personal testimony. So your testimony can be one of the most powerful witnessing tools you've got. 
Uh, that's great insight. And also to remember, Ron, there's no magic verse out there, no one verse that's going to cause them to convert at your doorstep there. It's a, as you said, it's a well, long process. It is a long process. And here's something that also, I think, takes some of the threat away. God does not call you to convert them. God is the one that converts. You don't have the power to convert. All God calls you to do is to be his faithful witness. That's it. All you're called to do is to tell the truth about Jesus. That's it. Conversion is God's thing. So don't think that you've got to learn how to convert somebody, because that's something that God never asked you to do. Yeah, great point. Well, Ron, as we close, give us an example, a personal story you have of leading a Jehovah Witness out of the organization, and whether they came to Christ or not. Well, you know, there's a number of examples I could point to. Let me just point to one guy in Colorado who became a believer as a result of questions, this question-asking strategy that I illustrate in my book, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Jehovah's Witnesses. By asking questions, this individual became a believer. The problem that he ran into is that his wife would not become a believer. And this ended up being a point of conflict, which I still had to help him through. Once he converted, my job wasn't over. Now I had to help him through this task of dealing with his wife because, you see, they've got a policy, Pat, that they can shun you and disfellowship you if you turn from the truth. And that's what this guy was experiencing. And that's a very fact, scary even, thing, isn't it? Oh, it's a terrible thing. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens every day. You know, one, one person in the family might become a believer, and then the others will shun you or disfellowship with you, and they'll not talk to you, and your friends won't talk to you. And so what you have to do is to help them get into an alternate family of God. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to get them into a new church where they can build a new relationship with new brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, that's the meaning of that phrase about, you know, how Christ talked about a hundredfold return. In other words, if you lose family members as a result of trusting in me, God will give you a hundred times bigger family, which is found in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I guess my point, again, is that once they convert, your job is not over. You have to help them deal with the baggage that they've now got, as well as help them to become discipleshipped, get them into a good Bible-believing church. Great, yeah. And I think the point that you bring up is that to make sure that we come in with the right attitude, not in a condescending way or that we're there to win a debate or an argument. But as you said, you know, First Peter 3.15, with gentleness and respect and that attitude is going to make a big difference as you share some of these verses uh, and information with Jehovah Witnesses. Well, by doing it that way, they're going to see that Jesus Christ actually does reign in your life. If they can see Jesus shining through you, and if they can see Jesus reaching out to them through you, that's where it becomes so critically important. They start to understand that you're not just a person that has facts, but rather you have a genuine spiritual relationship with Jesus such that if you die today, you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you'd go straight into his presence in conscious fellowship. Not unconscious like they believe, but you're going to be in conscious fellowship with Christ in heaven, and you know it to be true because of what the person of Jesus has done for you. If you can talk about it in those terms, in terms of a personal relationship, and let Jesus shine through you, they'll pay attention to that. Yes, we've been talking with one of the premier scholars in the area of cults and comparative religions, Dr. Ron Rhodes. 
And we've been talking about his new book here, Conversations with Jehovah Witnesses. And this book lays out a great way in which you can have a very productive and effective and wonderful conversations with Jehovah Witnesses, whether friends or family members or those who come to your doorstep. I have found that by doing these kinds of studies in terms of answering the cults and so forth, you actually become grounded in the Word of God in the process so that your own doubts begin to vanish and your convictions begin to grow ever stronger. That's what you want to have happen. Fantastic. We've been talking with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning Through the Scriptures Ministries. He's got a great series, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Mormons, with Jehovah Witnesses, with Muslims. Terrific series of books there. I've got them on my shelf. I recommend that you get them all as well. Well, Ron, thanks for being on the show with us. It's my pleasure, always. This concludes Pat's interview with Dr. Ron Rhodes on his latest book, Conversations with a Jehovah's Witness, a book that will give you practical ways to share the true Jesus with a Jehovah's Witness. If you would like to hear this entire interview, along with Pat's other interviews with Dr. Rhodes, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by this show, please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week as Pat and his friends continue to present reasons for faith and hope in Christ. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers.